0: Hi everyone, this is Sahani from Student Council, and today I have here with me Mr. Jiri. Hi there guys. So today uh, I brought Mr. Jiri here to talk a bit about math. But before we begin, let's discuss some issues that are currently affecting and impacting our society. The shutdown of the US government. This was the largest government shutdown in US history as it lasted for 35 days. This had many severe impacts, like leaving more than 800,000 federal employees without pay and causing issues with TSA agents. Overall, the government shutdown has greatly impacted the U.S. economy. What is your opinion on this? Do you believe that there could have been an alternate situation, uh, alternate solution to the standoff between the president and the Democratic Party?
1: Firstly, I think that's a really good question. It's incredibly in-depth. I don't claim to be an expert on American politics. However, it does um, strike me as unusual that you have these kind of government shutdowns. Uh, It's it's something that... um, it's something that within the UK we're not actually really aware of. Uh, we don't really see that happening. So with regards to the shutdown, I don't actually understand why it happens. When you have a disagreement between the president and the Democratic Party, I don't understand why salaries need to be stopped. That really doesn't exactly. make sense yeah. to me.
0: So what, what I found really weird about it was that... Trump uh, that the Trump the president wanted most power and because I think it was because of the uh, American laws mm-hmm. that the president can't have full power unless it's a national emergency mm-hmm. so the, tr- the president declared national emergency and mm-hmm. then for some reason that stopped all pay mm-hmm. for government jobs nice. and what I feel is that it was really unfair that he felt the need to go to immediate power mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was really unfair towards all these people who didn't have the, their pay.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think it's something that's so great about the American political system is that they have the three strands um, and I'm going to test myself now to find out if I can remember. So we have, and if you know, please let me know. So there's judicial, there's governance, and then there's the executive. So you have your judicial branch, which is the law, which actually, if you look at the moment, I believe Mueller is kind of holding it up with his investigation. Then you have your um, government, which is mainly your civil servants, who are the people who are most affected by this standoff? And then you have your um, executive, which is the president and it's, and it's the uh, politicians in power. I think anything that we've learned from this whole uh, Trump presidency yeah. is that the American system, although this has been horrific, if you look at the American system, those three pillars have put him in check with regards to what he's wanted yeah. to do. And I think if anything, it has shown some strengths of the American democracy there, of the judicial and of the government system, that they have been able to continue their economy and politics in a way that's not been as detrimental as you can imagine if Trump had complete executive power. Um, So, yeah, I I suppose to come back to the question, what is your opinion on this? I think it baffles me that there is a political system in place that can cause uh, so many people to go without pay. I, I just I don't get why that needs to ever be um, a standoff like that. So I'd love to know a little bit more about the American political system with regards yeah. to that. And in fact, that do you believe that there could have been an alternate solution? Well, yes. I mean, in in other countries like the UK, you don't see these government shutdowns. Um, so I do wonder what does that if you if you're declaring a national emergency as well. You know, how does the uh, president have that executive power? There's clearly a lot of problems in American politics that yeah. have been highlighted for this, but we must understand that there are also benefits that we've seen yes. from this, and the strength in the du- judicial and such. So yeah, yeah, like For
0: example, mm-hmm. the, the Democratic part, po- the U.S. government is split into three, mm-hmm. and I think, I'm not exactly sure if I'm right, but yeah. it was, but it, the founding fathers, they, mm-hmm. didn't, they didn't want um, an evil dictator, mm-hmm. so that's why they made the president, But mm-hmm. but they made sure that the president didn't have all the power. Mm-hmm. They gave it to the Democrats, and and I think another party, I can't exactly remember yeah. the Congress. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that way the president won't have all the power. They have to discuss it with the Democrats and the Congress.
1: So I think I just want to correct you on your yeah. terminology. There. I think you're right, but I think it's the Senate and the I'll Congress just because the Democrats and Republicans, are opposing political parties. But I do think I do think you understand that. And um, they also did create something called the Electoral College, which is a whole of a uh, whole other issue but i will say is that if anyone listening to this is interested in american politics definitely have a look at electoral um, electoral college there's a couple of um youtube videos in fact there's one done by is it v source maybe not v source but there's one done by cgp uh, cgp that's very very informative on the american political system
0: oh okay so our next question similarly there was another incident with tear gas near the u.s border there's conflict on social media where some people believe that it was right for the government to tear gas those illegal immigrants trying to break into their country, whereas some people believe it was great injustice to tear gas the poor immigrants, some of which were children. What is your perception of this incident?
1: again, this is a huge huge <laughs> question um, so i think I think when it comes to any form of violence, i think we I think everyone hopefully listening to this can agree that um tear gassing someone is a form of violence because the horrific after facts of tear uh, uh, um, tear gassing can be quite quite scarring especially for for any children that are involved personally i i hate to i hate to make very um, very narrow minded opinions based upon the little facts that I know. And I quite frankly I don't know enough about the situation to really give a strong opinion. So I'm starting with what I'm about to say with a with a caveat that I really I, I'm not the uh, expert and authority on this. So what is your perception is this that I would say that there's never there is never ever, ever um a justification for tear gas in children. And if children were involved in this, then um my immediate opinion is that there is some some issue with whoever was uh given those orders to to tear gas that group. Personally, I think this is a much larger issue with regards to immigrants. Um, and because I'm an immigrant, uh, you know, and I, I think a lot of people in Singapore, there's a huge proportion of us are immigrants. Um, and you could even get onto a much bigger question with why are some called expats and others called immigrants? Yeah. Um, which I think is definitely an interesting one. So, with regards to uh, this question, sorry, I, right, I mean, no. seem to be going on tangents. Um, which will come later. Uh, <laughs> what is your perception is that I think um, it's never justified to tear gas children th- children involved. Yeah,
0: what I feel like is that I don't, I'm not exactly sure whether, whether it was the president or like the bo- border patrol agents mm-hmm. that, that were told to tear gas mm-hmm. the, the, the immigrants. But I, what I feel is that it was a moment of panic. Mm-hmm. Like um, I'm pretty sure it was like a caravan. It was supposed to be a ceremony. Yeah. I did some research. It was supposed to be a really good ceremony and mm-hmm. they were supposed to be behind the border. Right. And then suddenly, um, one person decided to jump out and run towards the border, mm. and then everyone followed him. And I guess it was like the border control was in in panic, and they just decided mm. to tear gas them as a final solution.
1: Yeah. So I think um, maybe this is being hyperbolic um, with regards to you know exaggerating what I'm what I'm about to say. But the, you mentioned final solution, which does link the final solution links with Nazism and uh, and you, the. Um, Hitler's final solution was to um, eradicate the Jewish population Um, and not just the Jewish population, but anyone that he would perceive as lesser. And I think this, obviously, this is not, this is nowhere near that. But the reason why I think that's interesting is that what we must remember is that um, we are a collective and when the agents at the border do something wrong, we have done something wrong as a community. And we cannot go picking on specific people saying that, this person did wrong and this person did wrong. And there are issues where you do have to genuinely do that and people have to remember to the consequences. But we have to think as a society, as as a culture, if it got to this, how did it get to this? What was my part to play in this? And how do we get there? And if these border agents, if you put, just put yourself in that situation as well, right? Yeah. You are, whatever your political leanings, you are, in a, you are a border patrol. You've never had this situation before. There is a giant group of people running towards you. I could see myself freaking out in that situation. And if I was given the authority of that border patrol, who would say that I wouldn't? And my God, if I did, I would be utterly horrified at myself for having done something like that with tear gas and have children. That is absolutely abhorrent. But if that person self-reflects and, and, and thinks... I made the wrong decision on that. I need to get better. We need to get better. How do we uh, solve this? And that's what I think is missing with the American Trump presidency at the moment, that people aren't coming together and saying, we need to solve this problem because the politics are so divisive at the moment. There is no we. And I'm hoping that with the next general election, whoever gets uh, elected and yes, personal opinion, I hope it's not Trump, but um, I hope whoever does get elected manages to get that unity back and uh, makes America think we did this yes Trump got uh, voted in and you could blame all the people who voted Trump and you could blame Trump but quite frankly there's a culture that allowed him to become president and that culture needs to be looked at
0: yeah I agree with that so on to questions about math yes (laughs) (laughs) why did you choose math as your career
1: okay so there's a couple of questions that Suhani's picked here that are very, very good. But they're also going to um, they're going to result in quite honest answers from me. And some of you are going to be quite shocked. And if you want to continue this conversation um, with me at any point, lunchtimes, break times, and I'm, I'm free, I will try my best to continue this conversation because I think it's important to be had. So why did you choose mathematics as a career? Quite frankly, I didn't. I, when I was your age, whoever's listening now, was not the most uh, I was not the student that had the most agency. I was not the student that went out and decided what they wanted to do and picked goals and went for goals. I was very much apathetic and I went by what I was naturally good at. And by naturally good, I mean what I didn't have to work too hard to be able to do. Mathematics always came naturally to me. And so as I went through my career in mathematics and I went from GCSE to A-level to degree, um the reason why I chose it was not that I, did, I didn't choose it. I was relatively good at it and just carried on with it. And I wasn't thinking about what I wanted to do later on in life. And I'll say this now, I am absolutely in love with the subject. I love mathematics now, but that was not always the case. And I think one of the things, if I could go back to my past self, is um, I would try to instigate some agency in that person and, and get him to think, what do you want to do? And where do you want to go? And you've got to work hard at that. And you've got to try and work hard at that. I'm happy with where I've ended up. But I do wonder where I would have got if I had had agency at your age like you do.
0: So, um, I, wow. Um, I. <laughs> <laughs> So what made you love math so much? Because I think most people in our age, they like, I like math a lot. But Mm -hmm. then when we got into linear graphs, and I think differentiation, Mm -hmm. it got a bit hard. And then I guess I started to lose a little bit of interest. But I still like it a lot. Like, it's my favorite subject. Uh So what? So how did you never find math like a really hard subject? Or was it just really always easy for you?
1: So that's a great question. It was relatively, um, I hate to, I it when students in my class say this is easy because it makes other people yeah. feel bad. And you know that, Suhani, because yeah. we've talked about that before. But um, yes, it, in this context, I would say that I found maths relatively easy as I was going through school. However, when I got to university, I found it incredibly hard and I fell out of love with it. I enjoyed maths firstly because I was good at it. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what it is that you do. If you're good at something, you will fall in love with it. And there's always, always going to come a time where what you were once good at, you will no longer be good at. Or you'll no longer feel effective in it. And that's when you start realizing whether you have a passion or not. So for mathematics, when uh, when I uh, decided that I wanted to be a math teacher, uh, and when I, my passion um, for mathematics came when I became a teacher. So I used to work as an engineer. I went to train to become a teacher. And as I trained to become a teacher, I started seeing mathematics in a completely different way. And it ignited my passion for the subject. And I no longer liked it because I was good at it. I liked it because it's beautiful. There's stuff, there's stuff in mathematics that just is absolutely astounding. And it's, I really am got a passion. I really am got a, clearly not for English if I'm going to have that grammar, but yes, I've I've got a massive passion for it because of the beauty underneath that I wasn't aware of when I was a student.
0: So what made you want to, or what made you decide to be a math teacher?
1: Mm-hmm. Um. So as I mentioned before, I became an engineer and I realized that I wasn't enjoying my job. And I wasn't enjoying my job because a lot of the time I was spent in solitude in my office, working through some formulas or going out onto site and working on site. But it was usually by myself. And um, so it wasn't necessarily that I didn't like the engineering part. The mathematics, you know, was quite fun. I was getting through the formulas, but the lack of human interaction. And that's more to do with my personality type than to do with the subjects that I enjoy. And I found that I am happy in a work when I'm surrounded by lots of people and what what job gives you so many people. Exactly. So I realized then I like to be with lots of people. I used to tutor mathematics while I was an engineer and I decided I'm going to go on and and, uh, become a teacher. And when I started literally from the first week of training as a teacher, I realized that that was this is exactly what I want to do. And it was a very fortunate time for me.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. So um, let's say uh, that you uh, wanted to pick another subject. What other, other profession would you have picked apart from mathematics?
1: So uh, my favorite subject in school is music. Oh, okay. Right, uh, which may come as a surprise. So basically, um, I, I was in love with music. I used to play in a few bands. I used to play a gig around the area, and I did my music GCE. But music is a notoriously difficult industry to make it in and to be able to have um a salary that can support you independently is very difficult and that's not to discourage anyone who's in you know, who loves music and wants to carry on but um as a as a younger younger man trying to grow into independence as it were i realized that music may not be the right route to go if i wanted to gain independence quicker and so mathematics came easy to me and is an incredibly valuable subject in lots of different industries. And I'm not saying music isn't, but music is incredibly valuable in a very specialized sense, which is why you have a lot more competition yeah. for any music jobs. So music, that's what I'd yeah. be in.
0: So would you say that, um, I actually want to say, uh, pick off something you said. Okay. So would you say that um, math, but wouldn't you say that math is a harder, to, a harder job? That, but do you still get paid a lot in math or is it just, is it the same or is it more competitive?
1: so i if I could just paraphrase, yeah. paraphrase what you're saying there, so are you saying that um is can you get have a larger salary within mathematics than you can music yeah. um yeah, I think well, that really depends upon the person so with mathematics, if you look at the uh, salaries that you get when you leave university depending upon um, the degrees that you have, those with mathematics degrees usually have a higher um, likelihood of achieving jobs that have higher salaries, and salaries are important. Salaries are what give you um, opportunities in the world. When you have have a good amount of money, you have more opportunities to spend your leisure and invest in different areas. So they are important, but what is more important is that you enjoy your job and you have a passion. And so, if someone is passion, absolutely passionate about music, and they're good at mathematics, but it's not their passion, maybe if they go down the mathematics road like me, they'll find the passion later on. But if they don't, they'll always be maybe earning a good salary, but not happy in their job and you spend so much of your time working and in your job you need to make sure that you enjoy it so yeah i think your average your likelihood is that you will learn more with mathematics but my god look at justin bieber for example (laughs) if you can hit it big in music you'll be earning a lot more than a mathematician
0: so uh what is your favorite part about mathematics and why is it
1: this is gonna this is gonna sound weird um Two two things. I got, kind of got two uh, interesting ones. So number one is the eureka moment, which I hope everyone who's listening to this podcast has felt at one point where you, you're you not getting it. You're not getting go, Oh, my God. That's how it works. And that that I absolutely love that. And I'm addicted to that. Not in just the sense of my own eureka moments, but when I see it in you guys, it's addictive. It's so good looking at a class and just seeing pop, pop, pop and people are having these eureka moments because I know how good it feels. So A a word called compersion, I don't know if you've heard of it before, but it means feeling the happiness of others. And a lot of my happiness in teaching comes from compersion and seeing that in the students. And then the second one is the frustration. I actually enjoy the frustration of mathematics because in that frustration, when you're not understanding, you're struggling with the actual subject, there lies the learning. And lots of students have this mass anxiety and they don't like that frustration. And they think that as teachers, we're very natural with the subject and we don't ever have that. But here's a, a little known secret. We constantly have that as teachers as we push our subject knowledge. Oh. So as math teachers, when we're learning new mathematics that we're going to teach, we go through exactly what the students go through in regards to frustrations and struggling and not understanding it. And then it clicks. And you will cannot get moved through mathematics without that. If you don't have that, you're not learning any new mathematics. So I don't want you to think that we're these no alls at the fronts you know we are constantly struggling with math- mathematics just like everyone in that room and as soon as you stop you're not getting any better
0: Wow okay that's really interesting yeah. so what is something that you dislike about mathematics
1: so this is a paradox the frustration <laughs> so it's um, it, no do you know what that's no I yes the frustration because it is frustration yeah, at the end of, of the day but um, there can be an elitism about mathematics. And you see it at the very top of the industry, but you can also see it in students as well. And I never blame the students if there's this elitism cult- culture that comes along. But lots of students can wrap their ego around the ability in mathematics. Yeah. And you'll see students who are very good, maybe chuckle a little bit when someone else gets it wrong. Yeah. They don't mean anything malicious by it. But what that chuckle is, is kind of a uh, self-satisfaction, yeah. which as humans, we all enjoy. And we all yeah. do go to that that's the thing I think if we if we promote that culture of elitism of that I'm better than someone else because I'm better at mathematics it becomes an issue and that mass anxiety rises and it may happen in other subjects but I definitely think that there seems to be more prolific mass anxiety than there is in any other subjects because it is very objective right or wrong Um, and I think for me It's about understanding that all of us as people have value regardless of what our specialisms are. And in mathematics, it's about loving the subject and learning the subject and getting better at math. I don't care whether you can solve trigonometric Ryman integrals, which I don't even know if that's a thing, right? (laughs) Um, Or if you struggle with adding two simple numbers, the point is that the struggle is what you love and the eureka moments are what you love and you can get that at any level. So we shouldn't be, We shouldn't be too self-satisfied with ourselves if we are very good at mathematics. We also shouldn't be too hard on ourselves if we feel like we're struggling as well.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. So um, on to our next question. What do you think is the most significant unsolved math problem that you ever come across?
1: Um, So there's one that's solved now that's called the Poincare uh, Conjecture, which was (laughs) <laughs> so this is, um, it's difficult to describe because I don't even really understand it. Um, it's about mapping what's called a 3D sphere onto a fourth dimensional object. Uh, to go into this, I would, number one, need a PhD, and number two, need a lot more time. <laughs> so that, that was actually solved by a, a fellow called Gregory Perelman. And if you were interested in that, go look it up, uh, the quinc- uh, poincare conjecture. You won't understand a thing, but it's interesting. <laughs> um, at the moment, the, have you heard of the Millennium Prize problems?
0: Uh, not exactly. Could
1: you explain it? So the Millennium Prize problems are problems that are considered significant in mathematics by the mathematics community. And if you solve one, you get a million dollars.
0: Wow. Right. Are they
1: super hard? Or- Incredibly so. Po- the Poincaré conjecture was one of them. It's the only one that's ever been solved. Wow. So these these ones you can find on Wikipedia. And one of them that I've, I looked into and was like, oh, I'll give this a go, even though my ability is not quite there, which I'm fine with saying is called the MP problem. And I'm not gonna say any more about it because I don't fully understand it myself. But if you want to have a look at a problem that Mr. Jury is absolutely stumped on and just cannot understand it, the MP problem for the Millennium Prize problems is definitely one of them.
0: Wow, okay, I'll be sure to look that up later. So what what kind of jobs are available for people with a math degree? Because I was always under the impression that if you take math as a degree, you can only be like a teacher or an engineer. So what other jobs are there?
1: I'm glad you asked that question because um, maths actually opens up a lot of, uh, lot of doors. First thing I want to mention is this. There's a statistic out there, and I knew this a few years ago, so I don't know how applicable this is nowadays or in this country because this was back in the yeah. UK. But about 80% of those um, who graduate from university work in a field that has nothing to do with their degree. Wow. Right. The degree itself definitely gives you specialized knowledge. But what it really does is it proves that you can learn at a very high technical abstract level at a good pace. And anyone who can learn at a good pace and to a high level can learn the job that they're about to do. So when you have a degree, that's one of the uh, values that you have with a degree is this person has proof that they can learn to a very high level and at a good pace. And so when they come into our job, they may not know a lot, but they'll be able to learn very quickly and understand it very quickly. So with regards to a master degree, um, mathematics as a subject is genuinely regarded as a difficult subject to understand and so lots of maths degrees are, are revered in a, in a sense um, and so you can go into lots. What I'm going to say now is I'm going to plug the board that we have up in the corridor in the math corridor. There's a few QR codes there and there's a different jobs that you can get from mathematics. Have a little look at that board and i will tell you everything you need to know.
0: Okay. On to our next question. Uh, would you recommend some, for someone or some of your students to choose mathematics as a degree?
1: Okay, great question. No. No? And yes. <laughs> Why? So I would only recommend a student to take mathematics as a degree if their passion lies within mathematics. You, you have to pick what it is that you enjoy because you're going, when you go into a degree level, you're about to do it and you're about to hit walls. When you go to university, you are going to hit emotional walls, um, knowledge walls, intellect walls. You're going to hit a load of limitations and learn a lot about yourself. And when you hit those walls, it hurts. It hurts to hit those walls. And if you aren't passionate about the subject, then each time you hit that wall, your passion will kind of decrease and you've got to have some issues with that subject. And you may come to a point where you think, what is the point? Um, and you need to be able to get past that. And it's fine to feel that. And you need to rediscover your passion and think about how you feel with that subject. So with regards to recommend someone to choose a master's degree. Personally, I found it very difficult. I didn't have passion while I was doing it. I managed to get it. Um, and now I would love to go back and do it again. I would love to go back and do it again because of the passion I feel for the subject. But I would only really suggest it to people who I know are absolutely in love with the subject and that's what they want to do. And if you don't know what you want to do, then yes, if you're going to go on and go to university and that is or that you're going to go down in a master's degree, there's open a lot of doors, like a lot of doors. But um, you will struggle if you do not have a passion in that subject.
0: So, would you say that a math degree is extremely harder, or is, let's say the hardest out of all the degrees? Or- <laughs>
1: that is a controversial question. Mister Tuckley would probably argue uh, physics is. Um, do you know what? It depends upon who you are. I think, um, like we were saying before, right? There are some subjects that you might be more passionate in, or you may have more of aclivity for. Is that a word? I'll speak to Miss Bennett and ask if Clarity. that's a word. Aclivity. I don't either. know why that's come to my mind, but it has, so I'm going to stick with it. Acclivity. I'll speak to uh, Miss Bennett. Um, but yeah, I think with regards to difficulty, I would. I think maths is seen as in the culture, whether it is or not in society. I think maths is seen as an incredibly difficult subject, an incredibly difficult degree to get.
0: As you've clearly said, math is a very difficult topic at university. Do you have any methods that you used in university to revise that that were helpful that could perhaps be used by students now?
1: this is the question that everyone needs to listen to and everyone needs to ask okay um right learning mathematics is all about teamwork if you can work with someone in a productive relationship both of you will bring different strengths and different weaknesses and if you have four, you know four is usually a good size group there's enough strengths and weaknesses there to um compensate for one another so Number one uh, is absolutely get a group of friends, a group of individuals that you can work productively with, not just gather. <laughs> and then the other one is that something called the Feynman Technique. I've talked about ILCs and independent learning yeah. curriculums, uh, which are very effective. And I think that's good. And I could talk about that elsewhere. But another one is called the Feynman Technique. And this is done by Richard Feynman, who's a, a famous physicist. Write the concept that you're learning on a piece of paper right at the top. Think about what you know about it, why stuff works within it, where and when was it invented, where and when can you use it. All these kind of questions where you explore your understanding of the concept without looking at anything. So okay. only what you know. And then once you look at that, you, I would suggest get another pen. Look at all your concepts. Look at all your pitfalls. Be like, okay, I don't know this bit. I don't know this bit. I don't know this bit. Then go away. Have a look at all your notes. Have a look at everything that you know. What were you missing? What did you not understand? What is not absolutely in your head? And go and practice that with questions. Or go and talk, uh, talk about it with other with students and build upon those concepts. And that's called the Feynman technique. Okay. And he was a Nobel Prize winning physicist. So Hi. if it worked for him, hopefully it'll work for us.
0: So you said that there were three people that were like you that you could ha- that you studied with. So did you ever find people that a- absolutely completely understood what was going on? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yeah, so we used to have a, a girl in our lectures. We called 90s child, and she was 90s child because um, she never scored below ninety percent in any university exam. Wow. She was phenomenally intelligent. Do you want to know what she got for a GCSE mathematics? C. C. Do you know what she got for her A-level mathematics? A B. A B. B. Mm-hmm. The reason why she was so good is because she never rested on her laurels. She never clicked as quickly as everyone else did. So everything that she did with mathematics, she worked hard for. She worked really hard, had to prove to her teachers, no, I'm ready for the next step, and went on to the next step, and worked really hard and moved on to the next step. And though she didn't get those grades, when she got to university, that ethic of working hard of loving the struggle of going through mathematics and enjoying the frustration was the thing that made her so good it wasn't because she could naturally pick it up it's because she would work hard and she'd work to understand whereas some of us would work to be able to apply it and be able to do it she would work hard to know why and because she knew why she could nail all those exams it was very impressive
0: I feel like uh, someone like that could be a, real, r- a really good role model for people in stu- like students now Absolutely. because whenever some, whenever there's like a really hard, we had a sign, uh, we had a math test today. It was really hard. <laughs> yes. So um, I, I, I skipped like the, the last two questions because I found them really hard and, and I kind of lost hope in that last moment. Yes. And I feel like um, a girl like her could really be an inspiration mm-hmm. and just never give up, keep Definitely. working.
1: Definitely.
0: Math is a very confusing subject, especially when people are unable to understand what their teacher is saying. Being the amazing teacher that you are, how do you go about parting knowledge that stays with the students?
1: So the first thing I say is thank you very much. I appreciate that statement. So, um, yeah, I think how do you go about parting knowledge that stays with the students? It's about, personally, the number one thing that a student needs to have in order to learn is a curiosity. And if students aren't curious about the subject, they won't ask questions about the subject. And if they don't ask questions about the subject, they can't improve their knowledge. They can't go and find where their weaknesses lie and how to better that. So for me, um, I first go about by trying to instigate that curiosity and talk about the context of the maths and why we're learning what we're learning and um, everything that this maths is related to. So that when students learn the maths as just, for example, let's just take fractions, you know, dividing fractions like why does that work when are we ever going to use this these are questions that students ask often um and if a teacher uh, maybe shirks those questions and doesn't think about those questions it can be difficult for the student to connect with the with the subject so for me i think um one of the things i try and do is get those questions down it's difficult for us as you know you've been in my lessons before where you write down questions exactly because sometimes we can't get to those questions in the lesson because as a teacher we do have something that we have to teach you and what you're asking is a fantastic question but it's but we have something we've got to teach you for that hour and so we can't go down that road so every now and again when I can get some time I'll address those questions we can go through those questions and I will never answer them all but what's really good is that as students if you develop that curiosity and you come up with those questions the internet exists for you like it didn't when I was younger and it's such a golden resource for you to be able to find those answers my
0: mom always says stuff like oh you you guys are really lucky to have the internet because i think in in her time there wasn't any internet and they'd have to like go to libraries and look for books all the time
1: yeah that, that was a hell of uh, to me admittedly i didn't have to go through that for too long but yes that was a hell of an annoyance when you have homeworks in and, and you have to get yeah. to the library you have to ask your parents whereas you guys maybe if you do a my mouse oh i forgot my mouse you'll do it the night before don't do that to your my but um yeah, yeah. yeah if, if you have that you have that option whereas if i'd forgotten and we had it the night before i needed to get to the library yeah. and it's very difficult
0: also just to add on what you said there's also i figured out an app Uh I'm not not saying that I use it, but there's an app where you can take a picture of the problem Uh and it solves it for you with steps and explains everything it does.
1: Interesting. Okay. Very good resource. uh, And this is how you should use it. This is how you should use it. Okay. Always attempt it yourself without looking at anything and use it to check your answers. Remember, maths isn't about getting it right. It's about trying to understand the ideas. And by understanding the ideas, we have to make mistakes. We have to get it wrong and ask ourselves why. So getting everything right doesn't impress me. Getting everything wrong and questioning why and trying to understand, that impresses me.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. Okay, so um, is it possible to have a world without mathematics?
1: Okay, um, it depends upon number – you have to define – if you're ever going to make an argument like this, you have to define your terms. You have to define what world means. You have to define what mathematics means. So if we talk about world as in the space we inhabit, let's just let's just say that's the earth for now. The, the world is the earth and that's the space in which we have inhabit. Then mathematics um, really depends and there's lots of different ways you can define it. So I, I like to think of it as the language of the universe. So if mathematics is the language of the universe, then – then mathematics exists without humans and thus the world can't exist without mathematics because that's how the world works, It's yeah. described by it mathematics. But the only problem is we don't know if mathematics exists without humans because we're all human. Yeah. And so it's impossible for us to know if mathematics objectively exists without a human practicing it. And that's the difficulty there. <laughs> right? So with regards to can a world exist without mathematics, my, my straight answer is I don't know because we can't understand the world without mathematics. That's the issue.
0: Wow. Oh, okay. So uh, how do you think that we should learn mathematics?
1: Right. So um, is it, I, I think you should learn mathematics in the way that we kind of teach mathematics. We, we very much go into independence. We very much want you guys to um, use each other, work with one another, think about it yourself, become that problem solver. The best way to learn mathematics is to question what you know and to practice so it's all about when you're learning a new topic that you're doing in class use that margin to write down questions of like okay well why does this work um where would i ever use this and these kind of conceptual questions are so vitally important to learn mathematics and if you can't think of those questions it's about having conversations with other students to instigate those questions and start thinking like that and then once you think like that go explore go online The sum of my knowledge is a peanut size compared to the internet. If you guys can be independent and think of these questions yourself and learn yourself, you don't need me. And that's my job. My job is to make myself redundant. It's so that when you move into university and you move on from school, you don't need a teacher to specifically teach you how to learn and, and pull you through. You are a learner who knows how to learn independently and move on. And we try and instill that in you guys from a young age. It's all about questioning your environment going and trying to find those questions and further questioning those answers. That's the best way to learn mathematics.
0: What is the purpose of educating people on mathematics? Why do you think that people should learn mathematics?
1: So first and foremost, the, the most general one for all students is that you guys have uh, knowledge enough that you can survive in the world around you. Um, we, you know, It would be terrible to have students who leave our school who can't manage their own finances, who can't... Um, solve uh, problems in in their home maybe hanging a picture something like that um we want we want you to be able to do practical mathematics as it were more than that though um and especially for me there some of you guys have incredible potential and by some i mean everyone in this school has incredible potential not just in mathematics just incredible potential that you can uh, come to some of you guys have that potential within my subject within mathematics and Some of you guys may be able to use that to solve the world problems we are having at the moment. I think that um, why I teach you guys to learn mathematics is because you could genuinely go on and solve green issues with climate change, solve um, some of these million uh, millennium prize problems. I see you guys doing that. I, I know that sounds crazy, right? But when I'm teaching you in, in the class, I see you guys going on to do something like that. And that's what makes me think like the purpose of me teaching you this mathematics, because one of you may go on and do something absolutely phenomenal. And you absolutely have the potential to do that. Everyone should feel they have the potential to do that.
0: Okay, so this question is a bit funny, but yeah. okay. So one day, someone in art class, Miss K was asking us if we would like to take art GCSE. Yeah. And someone, I'm not going to mention who it was, yeah. but someone in art class said that they only like art because they like coloring. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, Miss K wasn't happy about that. Yeah. So has there ever been a moment when someone, uh, when something similar like that has happened to you with a student?
1: I can definitely draw parallels. I think, um, the main thing that, that, that's kind of linked in with mathematics is that someone likes mathematics because they like computation, they like calculation. So if you like the procedure, so for example, um, have you guys come across simultaneous equations yet? Yeah, yeah we, we did it, yeah. Right, so simultaneous equations, rather an in-depth process there. People may love mathematics because they like doing that process and the simultaneous creation yeah. and getting get into the job. And I don't want to judge anyone. If that is why they like mathematics, then great. That's why you like mathematics. There is a certain enjoyment to getting a, a, a complex calculation correct. And if you want to go on and do that mathematics, it's called computational methods. The, these professors exist that can do fantastic stuff with numbers that just blows your mind. And if you enjoy that, perfect, go on and do that. The issue comes when you think that that's what mathematics is. That's only one part of mathematics. And lots of students think, I like maths because I like calculating stuff. And I'll move on and go and do uh, calculating stuff. Where mathematics is all about understanding incredibly important and difficult ideas. And being able to communicate those important, difficult ideas. And they're very abstract, these ideas. Yeah. Um, and that's what mathematics is and you do it multiple ways one of them is through computation but others is through algebraic proofs or uh, geometrical representations there's a ton of things that you can do so yeah i think in, in regard to i like um art because i like coloring i imagine i don't know but i imagine that coloring in art could be incredibly difficult you know you here uh, if you're going for tonal differentiations or um your color has to represent this idea you're trying to process yeah. in, in art. It could be so in-depth, it's self-coloring, but it's only one aspect of art. So I can see why Miss Kay might be frustrated yeah. that someone would say that that is art yeah. uh, when it's just such a small part of it.
0: So how could you describe the relationship between mathematics and logic? To what extent are they similar? In what ways are they different?
1: This is a, uh, an, another superb question, Suhani, because um, it is, I don't know if you, you're aware of Bertrand Russell. So there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, philosophy as you move the ages. So you can start with the um, beginnings such as Socrates and, and Plato and things. A lot of these early philosophers have some form of mathematical background. Platonic solids, for example, are solids that Plato uh, discovered, three-dimensional solids that have regular um, surfaces. I won't go into that, but the point is this. There is an intrinsic link amongst philosophy and mathematics. And having a mathematically-minded mind- person attempt to understand philosophy can have a different perspective. Uh, one of my favorite mathematicians and philosophers is René Descartes. Um, and it's very much because when you look at his discourse on method, it's an incredibly scientific way of dealing with uh, uh, high philosopher- philosophical thinking. So regards to how logic and mathematics mixes, it's because mathematics is based upon quite logical, what called axioms. And these axioms are what all mathematics are based on. And they are logic. That's what they are. And if you are practicing the mathematical axioms and proof and understand these axioms, then when you start making logical arguments for or against different philosophies, you have quite a strong basis to go on. So I'm not gonna say that mathematics is logic. I'm gonna I, maybe do I go as far to say logic is a part of mathematics? Okay, let's let's look at it this way. Maths is a set, logic is a set, and there's an intersection between the two. Okay. And within that intersection there is an incredibly rich way of seeing the world. And that intersection, that's where I think people should aim to go. Develop your logic and develop your mathematics and see if you can see what the overlap is.
0: But how do you think someone can develop their logic?
1: Okay, great. So this may be something to talk to uh, Mr. Jones about as well, because as I hope you're aware that he teaches the theory of knowledge within the IB program. Oh. So, with regards to logic, logic is about um, taking premises and trying to understand logical conclusions based upon a procedure that you go down or a process or something like that. So, if, if if A, then B, and so on and so forth. So, with regards to mathematics and improving your logic, there are. So, firstly, I'll say this um, Do you know um, Malala Yousafzai? Yeah. Right. So, she went to Oxford to study. Yeah. Was it Oxford or Cambridge? Oxford um and she put up a, a photo when she first got there to say you know uh, all of her struggles she managed to get to Oxford it's fantastic and it was the first few books that she was uh, had to had to look and they're logic books um so first thing I, I say is this look up Malala Yousafzai logic books and try and find that photo so you know those books are there that can help you with logic I think the logic is developed through problem-solving uh, skills. There may be other ma- avenues up the mountain, but I think problem-solving skills help. So that, what do I know? What do I want? What can I introduce? I know some of you may be a little bit aggravated with that and find it difficult. But genuinely, this way of thinking is how I think all the time. And I do think that I have a relatively logical brain. Um, and I think that that's why my logic has developed. is through that, that formal, formal thinking.
0: Wow, that is really interesting. So uh, what exactly is mathematics? When did it come around? Was it invented or discovered?
1: So we were talking about philosophy just then. You are, you are hitting the crux of the philosophy of mathematics. So mathematics, everyone sees mathematics as doing, and that's, that's essentially what it is. But you can see it through lots of different looking glasses. And um, you can do the history of mathematics. You can do the geography of mathematics. You can do the philosophy of mathematics. Um, and these are different lenses to look at. Whether it's invented or discovered is still being debated by very high mathematical philosophers. We don't know. Um, And we don't know because it's impossible to remove mathematics from the human. So if we say, if it was invented, then it's a language with which humans describe the universe around them to each other. That's, That's what we're doing with mathematics. But then if the language works so well and it describes everything around us so well, then is it already there? And we are just looking at it, observing it. You know, what is mathematics? Is it the actual stuff that's going on around us? Or is it the language of which we communicate what the actual stuff around us is doing? And quite honestly, I don't know. It's a question I love to bring up in a class and have people debate on it. But I've not pinned my flag to either one yet. I don't know myself whether it's or discovered. And I actually haven't developed an answer for it either.
0: I feel like math was never, it was never inve- uh, invented. I just feel like there would be no math if there was no human. Because I feel like the way it was, it was never, math was always there. Right. And I feel like when humans were there, they, they were able to think in a certain way. They were able to understand things in a certain way that, let's say, animals or other, peop- other things couldn't understand. And that's how we discovered mathematics. But some people think that it was invented because they were the ones who found it out. But I think that it, it has been there forever.
1: I love this. I love this. I love this. Because um, when, you look at, when you look at humans and animals, right? Uh, so, for example, to give it throw a fact at you, crows can count to four. I may have said this already when you were in my class, but it's a while ago. Crows can count to four. So if you have um, five hunters, human hunters go into a forest and you want to you take some crow's eggs to cook up for your breakfast, If you walk five in all the crows will leave or they'll stay near their eggs and they'll protect their eggs when four get up and walk away all the crows will leave because they can only count up to four so when four get up and walk away they think everyone's gone so one hunter stays behind calls up the trees gets the eggs now a lot of why we may have been able to become the dominant species we know it's because of our brain and we know that language is incredibly important but it may have been that simple fact of being able to see things around us mathematically, even if we can't say what it is, and knowing that, hang on, there's five hunters there, four have gone, there's one left, we still need to work it all out, gave us that advantage. And what you're saying there is, is absolutely correct with regards to discovered, because these animals don't communicate their mathematical knowledge, not that we're aware of anyway, yet they do have mathematical knowledge, and we've tested that, and we've seen that. So how is it, if we invented it, how is it that animals are counting?
0: I have a feeling that animals, um, so let's say that we were, um, there were animals, right? They were were not able to communicate. We were not exactly aware on how animals communicated before we were there, right? But after we were there, let's say that our brains worked in a certain way. And the, when, the crows, when the crows or the animals they saw, they adapted or they attempted to adapt to the way that we thought or the way that we were process, processing things. And they attempted, but maybe their brains weren't that utilized or maybe they weren't able to. Maybe maybe why our brains are so influential and why they work so well mm-hmm. is because we communicate and because we have so many ideas that we can tell others and then gain more knowledge. Yeah crows aren't able i feel like crows or other animals aren't able to do that and that's why they can't be as advanced as we are
1: i'd have to agree i think um it's our language and it's an assembly i did last year um where we talked about mathematics and i asked the question to the crowd what's the most important subject and it was a loaded question because again i think everyone there was thinking well he's going to say mathematics isn't he I, I wonder if you remember it. It's the language of which we learn in. That is the most important subject. The more proficient you are at your language that you speak, the more ideas you can communicate and the quicker you'll understand something. So for me, mathematics is incredibly important for understanding the universe around us, the objective universe, as much as it can be objective. But in order to know that, we have to be able to communicate with yeah. one another. And and that's why it's so important. And I think, yeah, if you look at how we communicate as animals it's just far superior to any other animal that we know of anyway
0: yeah I agree what exactly is theoretical mathematics can you prove uh, so I've always heard people talk about theoretical physics and they're always you've all you always hear about it but I've never exactly heard, i I happen to stumble across theoretical mathematics could you provide a couple of examples
1: theoretical mathematics is on the absolute cusp of all the understanding that we have there's a um, mathematician uh, who's been working on topology, whose name escapes me, unfortunately, but she uh, has been working on a field of topology which is to do with shapes. That is just mind-bogglingly difficult to wrap your head around because we can't even imagine the shapes that she's working with. It's impossible for the human brain to imagine. That's theoretical mathematics. It's the stuff that's on the absolute cusp. That At the moment, we have hypotheses hypotheses for and we have theorems that are being built off of them. And that's what's happening there. So it's mathematics that we can't yet apply. And the theory is that with most mathematics, we're about 300 years more advanced. And what I mean by that is not the subject. I mean that uh, a lot of the mathematics that we are doing right now, that's theoretical mathematics, physicists and engineers may find a way to apply in 300 years' time. So it may seem like this crazy otherworldly mathematics that just doesn't make any sense and isn't applicable to our world, but it's not. It will be in 300 years' time. And that's proved with a mathematician called Avris Galois and Galois theory. Something that was completely seen as just pointless at the time, but incredibly influential to our modern day banking.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Uh, Yeah, thank you very much too, honey. Appreciate it.